Um, this morning, what we'll be looking at is Mark chapter 12, verse 1 to 11, which is basically a parable that Jesus used. But to get the surrounding context, we will be starting from chapter 11, verse 27. The conversation between Jesus and the scribes and the chief priests can be found also in other synoptic gospels, such as Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 to 43, and also Luke chapter 20, verse 1 to 18. So therefore, it's quite a familiar parable within the gospels. So just to recap before we read, Mark here writes to predominantly a gentle church who's being persecuted by Caesar Nero. Mark records this account that those who believe from the gentile church would find hope upon Christ even in difficult times. From chapter 11 verse 27, Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes usually question Jesus' ministry and his disciples, not necessarily to get an answer, but that so they could trap and actually destroy him. And we see this throughout the Gospel of Mark. So Mark chapter 2 verse 16, they ask, Why does Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Mark chapter 2 verse 18, Why doesn't Jesus' disciples fast as John's disciples did? Mark chapter 7, verse 3. Why don't your disciples wash their hands like us? And Mark chapter 10, verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They also plotted in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, how they might destroy Jesus. So they're questioning, it wasn't for the reason of wanting an answer, but it was for the reason of, hey, let's destroy the Christ. So turn with me now to Mark chapter 11 from verse 27. I will read to Mark chapter 12, verse 11. I'll be reading from the ESV. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority? Are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the pe- they were afraid of the people, for they all held John really, they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. 
And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the year. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I'll just pray quickly. Gracious God, we thank you, dear Father, for your word. We thank you that we can open it and we can be convicted, but not only left convicted, that your Holy Spirit empowers us to do what your word says. I pray, dear Father, even as we, we, we listen, uh, that our hearts would be encouraged to obey you, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the chief priests and the elders are accredited rulers and teachers of the Jewish church. Their lineage could possibly be traced from that of Aaron. Therefore, they saw that their authority was founded in who their forefather was, rather than the authority of God's word. So this is why they asked Jesus what authority he spoke by in verse 28 of chapter 11. Who gave you this authority? All preachers and teachers of the word proclaim what God has said in his word. And what is proclaimed should always be validated by what the scripture states. So an example, when one wants to become a pastor or elder of a church, the church does not discredit their inward uh, drawing, their inward desire uh, given by the Holy Spirit, but they also seek to examine the church characteristics of the overseer described by scripture. Example, 1 Timothy chapter 3. One who is above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, are a few of the characteristics listed by scripture. Those in authority within a local church don't inherit that position because their four parents were in authority are believers. Let us look and examine if the Pharisees had reasonable claim for their rejection of Christ. Jesus' authority was given by the Father and can be examined by the Scripture. So let's just imagine that we were these gentle believers whom Mark was writing to. What would we have to examine to see if Jesus' claims were true? We would have to look at the Old Testament to see if Jesus' actions, his claims, and his words match up to that of what Scripture actually stated. Jesus comes and he fulfills prophecies that were prophesied prior to his incarnation. In Mark chapter 11 verse 10, Jesus is praised 
as, one, as the one who brought the kingdom of Israel, whose father was David. And this scene is a scene of Jesus entering Jerusalem on the court. If we look back at the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Show, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. John chapter 12, verse 19, which again is a record of Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding upon a donkey, it shows that the Pharisees were also there, so they observed what happened. Therefore, despite their view of Jesus, they were observing and listening to his claims throughout his ministry. So we could also assume that they heard of his virgin birth, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he had come from the tribe of Judah, etc. The signs that were performed and Jesus' fulfilling prophecies were clear evidences that this was the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He did not speak contrary to the Old Testament, yet his authority was still being questioned. So we see two types of persons believing they had authority. The scribes and the chief priests who were the descendants of Aaron and Jesus who accurately embodied and stated all that the scriptures spoke of. So given what we know, Logical disbelief was not the foundation of the scribes and the chief priests that they stood on. The authority of Jesus was questioned not because they had reasonable claim to disagree with what Jesus said. For as they came with their accusations, Jesus made clear cases for what he and his disciples did. The chief, the chief priests, scribes, and the Pharisees questioned Jesus' authority because there were sinners whose hearts were hard towards God and wanted any reason not to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So look at Jesus' response, which was a question. Although I know we've been told that you shouldn't answer a question with a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Their response was not to be honest with what they believed about John's baptism, what was clearly seen and what was believed about his baptism from those who were eyewitnesses, which was the crowd that was around um, Jesus, they knew that it was from heaven, but they evaded the question and stated they don't know. In the parable given in chapter 12, we see that it is about the priests and the scribes but it's also about all who remain in unbelief. Verse 1 of chapter 12 stated, A man planted a vineyard. He, he fenced it around. The man in the parable was a representation of God and his goodness towards those who were the biological descendants of Abraham, or Israel. God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh and from other enemies, from different tribes. Despite their sin of idolatry, murder, adultery, God remained patient with them numerous times, not giving them what they deserved for sin instantly, but bore with them. The servant in this parable 
who were either beaten or killed were God's servants many times, the prophets. The prophets were those who spoke the very words of God in many instances, warning Israel of their sin and calling them to repentance. Second Chronicles chapter 36 verse 15 says, Again and again, the Lord, the God of their father, sent word to his people through his messengers because he had compassion on them, on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despising his word and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against, until the wrath of the Lord against his people was stirred up beyond remedy. Like the servants in the parable, the Israelites, which included the priests and scribes, despised the messenger of the Lord, or better yet, they despised God. So I'm sure you have heard it said numerous times, numerous times, that we don't understand why Israel didn't trust in the Lord. Like God had did many miraculous things before them. They weren't persons who were told about what God did. They were actually eyewitnesses of God's marvelous works. Yet, Israel was not an anomaly, but how all men operate. The parable is not only towards those of Abraham lineage, but all mankind. To speak more directly to us in Barbados, God is gracious and has given you life family, provision, a place to live. Every breath that you take is because of God's goodness towards you. None of these things you are deserving of. We are usually sad when someone dies young and states like, how unfortunate this person had their entire life before them. However, the life that God has allotted to us, whether short or long, is again God's grace is nothing that we deserve. More than that, God has chosen to place you in a land where the Bible is generally accepted and the gospel can be heard. The gospel can be heard in different places, different churches around the island this morning. That is really and truly God's grace to you. The office of the prophet isn't operational today but you have friends and family who are believers who have possibly shared the gospel to you, calling you to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ. Being affiliated with Christians will not justify you. Quoting scripture will not remove your condemnation. Praying every morning to Jack will not remove God's wrath from upon you. Those who lease the land hated the servants. We might say, we have no issue with God. I am an unbeliever, but I don't hate God. I just want nothing to do with him. But given the parable, a tenant who seeks not to give their landlord what is due unto him obviously does not love him or his law. Since the law of the land is an extension of him who gave the law. Likewise, to say, I have no problem with God, yet live in continuous rebellion to him, shows you actually hate God, or are an enemy of God. So unbeliever, get real with your sin. You are not a neutral participant. You are not 
sitting on the fence or, or on the border or a respecter of God, when you clearly break his commands, you are a sinner like all other mankind. Hate for God is also seen in how we reacted to his son, Jesus Christ. Like the tenants, we reject the owner of the vineyard and the owner of the vineyard's son, who is a representation of him. He is not like one of the servants who came, but the one who will inherit all that the father has. As verse 7 states, this said, let us kill the son so that the inheritance will be ours. There is a uniqueness that lies within the son that didn't lie within the servants that were sent. Likewise, there is a uniqueness in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that the son is the begotten of the father. Which does not mean like what Jehovah Witness believed that he was the first created of the, the father. But it means that he was single of its kind or the only unique one. Those who came before cannot save you. Ezekiel, Isaiah, they never, popped, they never stated that they were the Messiah and pointed persons towards themselves, but they pointed persons towards Christ. So you see, these Pharisees had no reasonable excuse. An unbeliever, you have none. Place your faith in the begotten of the Father. Seeking to trace your lineage, which is something that is big now, to that of Abraham are believing that you are the, uh, the, the black people are the true Jews will not save you. Christ has taken the penalty for sin once and for all for sinners who believe. We become the father's children and are given an inheritance from our father. We won't be like Jesus in being God Yet, one aspect of our inheritance is that the Father loves us with the same love that he has for the Son. There's also a warning and a message to those who profess to be Christians here. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the chief priests would not have called themselves Christians. But they believed they knew God and that God knew them. Yet, evidence of this was not seen by their actions as they rejected the Son. So you might say, I have the right theology, the right belief pertaining to who Jesus is. I believe Jesus is the second person in the Godhead. I believe Jesus is God, and fully, fully God and fully man. And I believe that he is the only mediator between God and man. Rejecting the Son does not only look like not agreeing with Jesus' claims, and seeing him as our savior, but also not seeing him as our Lord. Jesus commands us how we ought to worship God and to love one another, which is also an act of worship. Our rejection of Jesus can look like knowing the commands of scripture, inwardly having good and proper interpretations of the text, understanding accurately the application and what should happen. Yet our minds deconstruct the commands so that we keep to our sin. Like the scribes and the chief priests, we know the answer or what ought to be, how we should live and worship God, 
but yet we fail to acknowledge God as our Lord. We may not be outside of the faith, but when we sin, it is usually a rejection of God as our Lord and a greater desire to sin. Some instances when we can deconstruct God's word can look like everyday commands given in the scripture, such as God has called you to witness within your spirit. You understand and agree that God has made you alive and that God makes sinners alive. Yet your response when prompted by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel is, well, these people don't want Christ. Or, husbands, you understand that God has called you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And your response is, well, she's a difficult woman to love. For parents to teach their children God's law, and your response is, well, I'm too busy. Or, to work as if, or, we know that we are called to work as if we are working unto the Lord. And our response is that the people in our sector, they are lazy, so I should be lazy too. You see, we deconstruct biblical commands to suit our sin, just like Jesus' opponents in Mark. Tevin referenced this verse in his sermon two weeks ago, and I think it's fitting here. James chapter 1, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. What God has given to us who believe is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only convicts us of our sin, but he enables us to act out the commands given within Scripture. The Holy Spirit is responsible, yes, for you being born again or regenerated, but he is also responsible for empowering you to live above sin. He enables you to look at the mirror and not walk away either satisfied with your sin or disappointed, yet still living in your sin, but to no longer be a slave to sin. Therefore, we can live successful lives, which is basically carrying out the commands of God, which also includes the Great Commission, loving our wives, teaching our children God's law, or even working honestly because of God. Mark mentions verse 9 in chapter 12. This states, the tenant will give the vineyard to others. It's hope for those Gentiles living under persecution, but it's also hopeful to us. Mark did not mention Jesus' parable to conclude if one day your persecution will be no more and that be your hope. But he mentioned God giving the inheritance or the vineyard, as the parable states, to others. So who are these others? Since I, I know most of you, um, but I don't believe that there are any persons in here, to my knowledge, who are of Jewish descendants. Psalm chapter 1 verse 18 verse 20, 22 states, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Again, Mark makes a clear linkage between the Old and the New Testament to show Israel's rejection of Christ did not come as a surprise 
but was ordained by God as a blessing to the nations. Through the death of Christ, all types of people groups can be saved from their sins. Those who were once not God's people in a grand way that exists now have become his people. Salvation is both for the Jews and the Gentiles. God has been working throughout history to draw sinners, which means he is also working in our time link in the 21st century. There is a great number of people that exist in 2021 that are not currently believers, but who will be drawn in different points throughout the years or throughout the days. We don't know who they are, and our jobs are not necessary to guess who is God's letter, who would make a good Christian and share the gospel solely to those persons. Israel's rejection had led the vineyard Israel's rejection had led the vineyard to be given to others. Your job as a tenant of the vineyard is to tell of God's goodness through the person of Jesus Christ for, for the forgiveness of sins. Don't deconstruct the commands to make disciples in your various spheres, whether work, studies, or even during your recreational time. But use what you know about God to fuel your love for people. Showing it by telling them of the love of God. The hardness of hearts that exists in the scribes and the chief priests exists in all men. Therefore, we don't want to act like the main reason people you know don't believe is due to anything other than their hard hearts. Yet, just as God has been working from the beginning, he is at work now.